Hey, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again this morning. It is great to see you here online. We're glad that you have invited us into your living room and into your day. Uh, we pray and trust that it'll be a blessing. Um, also want to remind people, we are meeting in person at uh, the new facility in West Pasco. We are so excited to be here. And as you are ready, and as COVID restrictions continue to loosen up, um, uh, we invite you to come and safely join with us. We're excited to see your face again. Absolutely. We have been in a series called The Mission of God. And we're just so excited to continue talking about the mission of God. We've seen so far how God has created everything and everything was good. And yet humanity chose to go their own way. And so we see in the biblical narrative how God is a God of mission, pursuing people, pursuing humanity, humanity so that he might redeem his creation and reconcile all of creation. And so we see in the biblical narrative how he made a covenant with Israel that they might be a light to all nations, that his blessing would flow through Israel to, to the rest of the world. And Israel had a hard time with this, hard time fulfilling their side of the covenant. And so God in human form, Jesus came um, to earth to fulfill both sides of the covenant and continue God's mission of redemption and reconciliation. And Jesus spoke of the mission of God in terms of the kingdom of God. And it was an upside down kingdom, a kingdom where the hurting and the powerless found opportunity and found healing and hope. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God established the church and um, appointed the church to be agents of his mission here on earth. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the church. We are a small part of the church, the global church throughout the world, participating in God's good work in our neighborhoods. And so as the church, we abide in Jesus. We are led by the Holy Spirit, and we're a church that worships. So today we continue that conversation, the idea of vocation. What was your first job? When did you first start working? Mine was a paper route, and I was about 13 years old. And I would, with 60 pounds of newspapers strapped over my shoulders, rollerblade my entire paper route. Um, and uh, that was fun. That was hard work. I was up. I can totally see you too, as a 13-year-old just yeah, zooming awesome. down the streets. And then I uh, saved up enough money that was able to buy a car, and I was able to move up in the world to Burger King, working <laughs> at Burger King. And that was a fun job because I worked there with friends. Um, and our favorite task working at Burger King was um, smashing down the trash in the dumpster. I can't imagine why that was your favorite task. It, it was it was fun for a reason. Trash day? Um, yeah. So obviously the trash is nasty. You don't want to be around that. But you cover it all with cardboard. And then you're supposed to step on it to smash it down. Because apparently uh, fast food produces more trash than you can fit in a dumpster in a week. And But instead we would put the cardboard on top and we'd get up on the roof of the building and jump <laughs> off onto our backs onto the cardboard to smash the trash down. It was a fun job. I'm sure the manager did not know what you guys were doing. I Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> we were doing our job. We were smashing down the trash. Uh, you know, in time, worked at a car dealership for a little while uh, while I was in college. Um, eventually youth minister 
church planner, and now we work together uh, in a co-pastoral role here in the church. So lots of different um, work experience over the years, and that is not a resume. I'm not applying for a job. <laughs> um, instead, what I'm talking about is the way our vocation, the work that we do, becomes so central to that season of life, to, to mm -hmm. what life looks like in that season. And in fact, here in the West, we define a lot of who we are around what we do vocationalize. And I'm not sure that's entirely good, but that is often how we define things. After all, uh, you meet someone new, you ask them their name, and then quite often the very next piece of the conversation is, so what do you do, right? Uh, so it's pretty central to who we are. And today we're going to talk about the church and the vocation of the church. And so as we've looked back on the narrative of the mission of God, three themes have come up over and over, and we've, we've spoken to them multiple times. First of all, that humanity was created in the image of God. Secondly, that God's people are to be a light to all nations. That's speaking of Israel. Israel, yep. yes. Yep. And then third, that God's people are to be a witness of the risen Savior found in Acts. So today we're going to continue to talk about the church's vocation and continue to let this narrative of the mission mm -hmm. of God help shape our understanding of what it looks like today to, to be the church and what it is that we as the church are called to do. What is our vocation? And we're going to be specifically looking at the church being messengers of God's good news. And we're going to look at these three things. Excellent. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So what does this creation story have to do with vocation? What does it teach us about what humanity and we as the church are to be engaged in? Well, first of all, it says that God created humanity, that humanity might rule over hmm. the rest of creation. And, and this is from the NIV, the, and it's translated the phrase rule over. Other translations might say have dominion over or even reign so it sounds like a king declaring, you know, laws and bringing judgments. Yeah, and it could be really misunderstood as, mm -hmm. you know, that we have power over creation and can do whatever we want mm -hmm. to creation. And that's not what that phrase means. It's referring to this idea of leadership and stewardship, that humanity was created to take care of creation, to, to guide and to lead, to handle God's beloved creation with love and care. So given responsibility to steward, Absolutely. to care for what God has created good. And secondly, this text describes the idea of humanity um, bearing the image of God, that created in God's image. Each time I think about this idea of the image of, I think of the story um, in the Gospels where Jesus is confronted. They're trying to test him and trap him in his words again. And they say, so uh, do you or should uh, should you pay taxes to Caesar, to the Roman government? 
And uh, Jesus uh, says, well, give, give me a coin. Let's figure this out. It's always clever. <laughs> I know. And he says, he says, whose picture is that on that coin that we're looking at? And they say Caesar's. And he says, okay, we'll give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And that's his answer to the question of nationalism and taxes and all this stuff. Valid questions today. He says, well, go ahead and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and give to God what is God. And what is created, what has the image of God on it? It is humanity. It is us. And we as the church, participants in the mission of God, take seriously this calling, this vocation to be the image of God in the world, to give ourselves as the image bearers of God fully to him and his mission, and to get to be a light to the nation. That comes next. Yes. You know, as Jesus' followers... Also, we bear God's image to the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as believers in Jesus, we are being transformed through the Holy Spirit to uh, into the image of Christ, that our life, that our inner life, that our outward life might reflect the way of Jesus mm-hmm. more and more. And so we've talked about abiding in Jesus. We've talked about prayer and, and the Holy Spirit leading us as part of our vocation. It's the first the first do, the first thing we must do is actually a be. We must be surrendered to Jesus, submitting ourselves so that we might be transformed into an image that looks more like Jesus. That's interesting. So humanity created in God's image, and yet the Spirit is doing a transformational work in our lives that we may look more like or live Mm -hmm. more like Jesus in this world. So the second movement in Scripture then that that we're identifying here is the movement towards um, God's covenant relationship with Abraham and with the Israelite people. Uh, In Isaiah 49, uh, this um, relationship kind of being uh, reevaluated, reconfirmed, uh, we read this. It says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. He goes on, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I love that. I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So God enters into a covenant relationship with Israel so that with the intention that they would be a light to the other nations, to the rest of the world, that his salvation would flow through Israel to the rest of the world. You know, I used to teach third grade. In fact, I taught third grade. My first job was not far from our new facility at Ruth Livingston. I was a third grade teacher and we had this science kit um, on based on electricity. And so I would teach um, the students just the basics of electricity. And we talk about electric flow. And we talk about conductors and insulators and open circuits and closed circuits. And, and the kids would learn the basics. And then the climactic part, the part they enjoyed the most, is when I got to give them a battery and a little light bulb, and then a bunch of wires and connectors and switches and different things like that. And I, and I 
presented them this challenge. I said, okay, now you get to figure out how can you use the electricity in this battery to operate this little light bulb and turn the light bulb on. And so I put them in groups and and, and and give them all these supplies and then just let them explore, let them try to figure mm-hmm. it out. And inevitably there's always one kid very, very soon into the process to be like, teacher, you gave me a dead battery. It's clearly not working or these parts are broken. And I just have to say, you know, keep, keep trying and think about what we've learned so far. And eventually one student every year would would figure it out first. And then there was this huge cheer in that, in that table group, like, I did it, the light bulb's on. And everyone, without even being told like a magnet, they would just rush over to that table. And that one kid got to explain, very an excited voice, how he or she got the light bulb to turn on. And when I read this scripture, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. I think of those students sharing so excitedly with others. This is how we got the light bulb to light up. The people of God are to be a light to the nations. We're to be the conductors of this this incredible message, this good news of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, people are drawn towards that light, except for when we as the light, like Israel, kind of lose sight of God's vision for all of humanity. Here, speaking to Israel, he's saying, uh, you know, kind of reiterating this covenant, I'm going to bless you, Israel, but so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. I'm going to, uh, through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And here we see uh, this reiteration saying, I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. And if you understand much of biblical times it's in biblical narrative, you understand that Israelites were a very separated people from the other nations. And to hear this message, you're going to be a light to them that my salvation may reach the ends of the world. God has a vision for all of humanity. And, and as I zoom in then to our little people group and, and our place here in the Tri-Cities, Washington, it's so easy to lose sight of God's love for our neighbors, our love for our homeless population and all of the diversity and all of the challenges we face in our community. God loves those people and is inviting us to shine as a light in this community. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus builds on this idea. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Mm. This uh, image of a candle in a home, uh, you know, we live in a time where you can hardly fathom lighting a space with a candle, except for on a very rare Valentine's Day dinner or something, right? (laughs) Um, But uh, this idea is a little bit foreign to us. It's like, but have you ever had a power outage? And how desperately you realize your need for a flashlight, uh, some source of light. Uh, It describes us in, in similar terms. 
that this world is in need of light. And we can look around ourselves and probably see evidence quite easily of this world's need for hope and light. Our need, yes. Of our need, everyone's need. Yeah, we are not excluded from that. Uh, but uh, the light mm-hmm. of Christ is shining through us. Yes. We are invited to be that light in the world around us. So after Jesus' death, um, his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus tells his followers that they will be his witnesses. And we've looked at it in this series, but Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses here and to the ends of the earth. Now, the first century disciples had walked with Jesus. They had seen his ministry. They were present at his death and at his, they saw him resurrected. And now they were able to witness, to speak to what they had seen and what they had experienced. What about us? 2000 years later, yeah, what does it look like to be a witness today? You know, when I think of the term witness, uh, my mind goes to a courtroom scene mm-hmm. where a witness is um, under oath telling what they saw, what they mm-hmm. experienced, recounting what they experienced. And in a similar way, we have this opportunity to tell people of what God has done for us. But it's not simply the words we speak. We'll talk about that as well. But it's also a way that we live. St. Francis of Assisi said it this way. Preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. What he's speaking of is the idea of living a life that is a witness for Jesus. Last week, we spoke about worship as a lifestyle, not just what we do on a Sunday morning, but it is a way that we live in this world can be a worshipful posture. Uh, Similarly, when we come to the idea of sharing good news, sharing uh, the gospel message with people, Um, There is an aspect to which the way we live will be the part of, or maybe the most valuable part of our witness of who Jesus is. Absolutely. The way we live and also what we've experienced. You know, the way we live comes out of how we have experienced Christ as the risen Savior and, and the Holy Spirit transforming us into his image and the hope and the healing that we have found. But at some point, we also have to speak up. It's Mm. not just how we live. Part of our witness is the words that we say. You know, one of my favorite parts of being a a pastor is that I get to sit with a lot of people. We get to sit with a lot of people and just hear stories, like faith journeys. And it's so interesting how often this concept of witness comes up in people's faith journeys. And sometimes it's a lack of witness. People will say, you know, I never realized I could actually have a relationship with Jesus. Or I'd heard of God, but I'd never been told the whole story. Or sometimes people uh, have seen a wrong witness and say, you know what, I knew this Christian and their lifestyle just didn't match up with what they were saying. And I didn't want any part of that. And then at other times we hear faith stories and there's an amazing, loving witness, um, genuine and authentic, that brought people to Jesus. They'll say, this person shared with me. This person, I saw the hope. 
I saw the healing in their life. And that is what brought me on this journey. So our words coupled with our lifestyle can be such a powerful witness of, of Jesus, the risen Savior. Absolutely. And so we realize that we, the church, are invited into, we often call it the Great Commission, but this is Jesus commissioning his people, saying, this is your task, go and do it. We, the church, are invited into the story of Matthew 28, 18, uh, some of Jesus' final words to his followers as he says, all authority in heaven on earth and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are invited into the mission of God to make disciples, to invite people to follow Jesus, to teach them, and to show them a new way with the promise that Jesus the Holy Spirit goes with us as we participate in the mission of God. So we, the church, the people of God, are to be messengers of this good news. We are invited not only to live into the hope and healing that we can find in Jesus, but also to share this hope and healing with the people around us. Yeah. So this week we are invited to be image bearers. That is when people see us, they recognize a God that lovingly created in his own image. We're invited to be a light in this world, uh, that people would see the light and the love of Jesus. We're invited to be witnesses, both in the way that we live in the week to come and in the ways that we share the good news. Jesus has risen and there is new hope. There is new life. Mm. I invite you to pray with me over this. God, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us to participate in your mission with you. God, we thank you for how you are providing hope and healing for us. And Lord, how you have um, given us the opportunity to be a light, to shine your light in our communities. And God, we pray that you would continue to work in us and transform us. And Lord, that you would teach us how to share the message of your good news just every day in everything that we do and everything that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, thanks again for joining us. We'll leave you with just these few words. So may we be more fully transformed into the image of Christ. And may we shine like a light in this world. And may we be witnesses of a risen Savior in both the ways that we live and the things that we say. Friends, have a blessed week. Have a good one.